This is The Value Proposition, a podcast by Barrow Hanley, where you'll find value-oriented investment strategies to institutional investors, mutual funds, and family offices. Hello, and welcome to The Value Proposition. I'm your host, Amadi Enzi, with Barrow Hanley's global distribution team. Today, with me, I have Nick Losey and Chet Pai, portfolio managers with our Leverage Finance team. Nick, Chet, welcome. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Amadi. It's good to see you guys in person after several months uh, through the computers. Chet, let's start with you. Can you explain what the high yield and leverage loan markets are and some of the similarities between them? Sure, Amadi. Why don't we uh, move over to the first slide, actually. Uh, when we talk about the two universes for leveraged loans and high-yield bonds, we really talk about them in terms of the Credit Suisse Leveraged Loan Index and the Ice Family High-Yield Index. And if you take a look at a high level uh, from a yield perspective, both markets are just under a 6% yield right now. Um, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. Uh, from an interest rate co construct perspective, leveraged loans are floating rate in nature and they're priced off of LIBOR versus high-yield bonds that are fixed-rate coupon in nature. And so investors can basically pick, uh, from an interest rate perspective, how they want to express that view. Another major difference between the markets is the fact that leveraged loans are basically senior in the capital structure. They tend to be secured by collateral in the company versus the high-yield market that's unsecured. Um, and so when you think about that in terms of times of stress, the loans are basically going to come out ahead of the high-yield bonds in the capital structure in the event of a recovery process. And in terms of the overall market from a size perspective, we're talking about a $1.3 trillion market for leveraged loans and about $1.8 trillion for high-yield bonds and about 1,400 issuers apiece. And importantly, from an overlap perspective, there's about 45% by market value from an overlap perspective and 21% by number. So if you think about that from a standpoint of what an investor wants to accomplish, if they want, they can invest across the capital structure for a fairly decent-sized part of the market for loans, bonds, and equities. But if they also desire, they can gain access to a completely different part of the market in terms of issuer and industry. Thank you for that, Chad. Can you give us some insight as to how the high yield and levered loan market has grown since the global financial crisis, looking back at 2008 versus today? Sure, Amadi. So basically both markets, the loan market and the high yield market, have pretty much doubled in size since the financial crisis. Oh, wow. And when you think about the buyer base there, it's really matured. Um, you've basically got a fairly large buyer base on the insurance side, pensions, endowments, and generally an institutional buyer base. And there's probably two major uh, reasons for why the two sister markets kind of see demand ebb and flow between the, them. Uh, one of those is that prepayable nature of leveraged loans, uh, the lack of that uh, material call protection that high yield bonds have um, that is attractive to issuers. Um, on the flip side, we already talked about that interest rate construct of leveraged loans versus high yield bonds, one being floating rate and another one being fixed in nature. Um, that also is another way for investors to express a view that creates differences in demand between the two asset classes. Nick, will you walk us through the evolution of the leveraged finance market since the global financial crisis yeah. and how it's grown? Uh, and I'll actually probably even start before then, because one of the things that uh, we mention and is notable in our markets is the decline in interest rates for the past 30, 35 years. Uh, I mean, starting with treasuries, the coupon 
the average treasury pays is down by 80%. The coupon that the average investment grade company pays is down by 60%. Same with uh, high yield and loans, that's down by about 54%. Meanwhile, there has not been a material or a structural increase in the leverage levels of these companies. So the interest burden that these companies pay has declined pretty significantly, um, which means the financial flexibility that these companies have has increased pretty dramatically. One of the things that's come out of this financial flexibility is a structural decline in default rates. If you look pre-2004 to post-2004, there's been a notable decline in default rates within the, the asset classes themselves. And the evolution since 2008, basically high yield and loans kind of disintermediate each other. They are sister markets. Companies can come and issue in one versus the other depending on the supply-demand dynamic that Chet had referenced um, earlier. And you know, when we think about also kind of the growth in the market, I, I wouldn't mind kind of touching on that. It's like the, we put it in relative terms, you know, the treasury market has grown in an average growth rate annualized of about 12%. Investment grade has been 10%. The growth in high yield and loan market since the last peak has been about five and a half percent. So fairly rational growth in the underlying market as opposed to kind of some of the higher growth rates you've seen in the other area, class, area codes. And then of course there's the ratings um, migrations. You know, within investment grade, you've seen triple Bs go for about a quarter of the market up to about 50% of the market. Within high yield, you've seen double Bs actually go from about 30% of the market up to about 55% of the market. So you've got this dynamic where the average credit quality within high yield has actually increased. It's gotten better, um, it's gotten safer. Meanwhile, the credit quality and investment grade has actually kind of degraded somewhat. And then a similar dynamic within duration. So the average duration within investment grade has been pushed out pretty significantly as opposed to high yield, which has stayed fairly short. And now touching on the loan market just briefly, you know, the, there has been um, ratings degradation within the loan market, but there's a couple of interesting notable notes about um, that degradation. You have seen the institutionalization of the loan market where it's over, you know, kind of going back to 2000 timeframe, there was still a lot of banks involved. A lot of institutional investors essentially taking over that market share, still largely driven by CLOs and collateralized loan obligations. Um, but that institutionalization has created kind of this, uh, this ratings migration where it's more profitable for investors in kind of the single B area code. So keeping the focus on the investor, Chet, how should an investor assess risk when analyzing this market? So the underpinnings of our philosophy from an investment perspective is to consider everything in terms of the risk of loss. Um, basically, what is the probability that you're going to actually lose money on the investment? Right. And when you think about when you're making investments at near par or basically at 100 cents on the dollar, uh, for the most part, you have nothing but downside um, if you get the investment wrong. So now that we've assessed risk, let's talk about reward. How can active management create alpha given the market dynamics that you just described? You know, through our process, which we have basically honed over the past 15 years, the things that we are most focused on is that volatility in cash flow. And as Chet had mentioned, assessing the risk in the underlying positions itself and the fundamentals of that business. So, you know, we're looking up and down that value chain and across the competitive environment in order to get a sense of how this business actually has a competitive moat, creates value for its customers, and what the dynamic uh, pricing power is within both the competitive environment and also that, uh, that value chain. The second levels that we go into are really the capital structure and the corporate structure. And within high yield and leveraged loans, it's extremely important to know 
the corporate structure, where assets are owned, where debt is issued from, where profitability is generated from, and how all those entities are linked together, either through intercompany loans or, or otherwise. Um, that unveils a lot of intricacies, either opportunities or risks within an individual company that layers on top of the fundamentals. And then thirdly, really, we're focused on the legal documents. Um, what do the legal documents allow management to do? What are the risks that they are able to siphon capital away from our position within the capital structure itself? Uh, these elements really allow us to unveil what the risk within the opportunity is um, relative to where that security is priced, so what that reward really is. It gives us a better upside-downside capture ratio that we're able to deliver to investors. So, where are you two seeing opportunities within this market? Well, I think high-level Amadi, um, we definitely like those companies that have flexible access to loan and the high-yield markets, but the most important factor we're looking for is companies that have uh, flexibility in terms of their cost structure to deal with a lower revenue environment. And given the COVID-induced volatility that we actually have seen here recently, and then the Fed backstopping the largely a lot of the credit markets, you did initially see high-yield and loans trade off pretty dramatically, but High yields already snapped back to par. Uh, loans have snapped back, but not as dramatically as high yield has. They still offer investors about an eight-point discount. And one of the things through you know, our ability to access management through the broader barrel handling platform, we have pretty tremendous access to a number of management teams across the, uh, the universe. Um, management teams consistently are focused on the defensibility of the business. That uh, includes, you know, slowing down or stopping share buybacks altogether, um, focusing CapEx, either you know concentrating it or reducing CapEx, uh, but most importantly, uh, a lot of the dollars that are generated are going to paying down debt. And when you think about you know, loans versus high yield, loans are prepayable, uh, high yield is largely not with call premium. So we do believe that that pull to par for loans is gonna be quicker than what uh, investors generally think. Okay. Given the market dynamic that you described, coupled with the insight that you gain leveraging Barrow Hanley's platform, how are you guys using all this information and implementing it into your strategies? So like some of the things we touched on, you know, the process that we use is very in-depth, leveraging that access to management that we're able to apply across our portfolio. So given the in-depth process, it actually yields a more concentrated portfolio as we have significantly more conviction within each and every position in the portfolio. So, you know, given that concentration, uh, well, we run about 90 to 100 positions in, in each portfolio, which is significantly less than a lot of our peers. A lot of our peers have multiple multiple hundreds of uh, positions itself. Um, but we think that, that that offers the investors actually a better risk reward opportunity. The risk is similar to a very broadly diversified portfolio, but the opportunity set actually ends up generating significantly more alpha for investors themselves, which, you know, looking at performance, we've been able to post you know, over 100 basis points annualized in each strategy. So going forward, what is your outlook on the leverage finance market? Well, Amadi, broadly speaking, I mean, we think that the yields currently in, in the high yield and the leverage loan space are very compelling. What it comes down to is a lot of what Nick had said. It's basically a debt story over an equity story. Management teams will be paying down debt, um, and that will be to the detriment of the options they have to benefit the equity. 
And so with that extra yield and with our investment process that Nick was talking about, in terms of our uh, multi-step process, our access to management teams, we think running a high conviction portfolio makes sense in this environment. And we think that's going to continue to achieve these above 100 basis points of alpha returns that we've generated so far. Excellent. Well, Chet, Nick, thank you both for joining me today. And thank you for joining us on the second episode of The Value Proposition. The comments made during this podcast are the best judgments of an investment professional. They are subject to change as more information becomes available. They should not be taken as medical advice or scientific certainty. All opinions included in this podcast constitute Barrow Hanley's judgment as of the time of issuance of this report and are subject to change without notice. This podcast was prepared by Barrow Hanley with information as becomes available. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be an offer, solicitation, or recommendation with respect to the purchase or sale of any security, nor a recommendation of services supplied by any money management organization. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Barrow Hanley Mowinian Strauss is a value-oriented investment manager providing services to institutional clients. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be viewed as representative of all investments by the firm. This podcast includes certain forward-looking statements, including but not limited to Barrow Hanley's plans, projections, objectives, expectations, and intentions and other statements contained herein. These are not historical facts as well as statements identified by words such as expects, anticipate, intends, plans, believes, seeks, estimates, projects, or words of similar meaning. Such statements and opinions contained are based on Barrow Hanley's current beliefs or expectations and are subject to significant uncertainties and changes in circumstances, many beyond Barrow Hanley's control. Actual results may differ materially from these expectations due to changes in global, political, economic, business, competitive, market, and regulatory factors. Additional information regarding our strategies is available upon request. The Global Industry Classification Standard, GICS, was developed by and is exclusive property and a service mark of MSCI, Inc. MSCI and Standard Poor's, a division of the McGraw-Hill Companies, Incorporated, S&P, and is licensed for use by Barrow Hanley Mooney and Strauss, LLC. Neither MSCI, S&P, nor any third party involved in making or compiling the GICS or any GICS classifications make any express or implied warranties or representations with respect to such standard or classification or results to be obtained by the use thereof. And all such parties hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of originality, accuracy, and completeness, merchantability, and fitness for a particular purpose with respect to any such standard or classification. Without limiting any of the foregoing, and in no event shall MSCI and SP or any of their affiliates or any third party involved in making or compiling GICS or any GICS classifications have any ability for direct, indirect, special, punitive, consequential, or any other damages, including lost profits, even if noted of the possibility of such damages.